Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We discover why people do what they do, how they do it, and what the future of their work is. My guest today said they would like to be introduced in the following way. They're an artist, promoter and host, human rights advocate, hairdresser, gatherer, photographer, gin lover, baker, paddleboarder, sky gal and my wife. It is Ruth Donaldson Cameron and thanks for joining us for a wee conversation. Whiskey? Of course. Good. Okay, this is... It's a nice bottle. It's a very nice bottle. It's an Ardnamurkin AD 10.2106. What does that mean? Did you say Ardnamurkin? Yeah, is that how you say it? Ardnamurkin. <laughs> Murkin. Murkin. Okay, here's the best noises in the world, other than the sound of your voice. Ready? Why That's... the sound of my voice? No, other than the sound of your voice. I'm saying, but why the sound of my voice? Because it's a lovely voice. <laughs> so why is it a lovely voice? Because... Do you say that to every person? Because my favourite noise in the world is the sound of whiskey opening, and I felt like I had to include you somehow in that. But why did you have to include me in that? Uh, just so you didn't feel that I like the sound of whiskey opening more than I like the sound of your voice. <laughs> Which maybe comes third after guitars, so... Just, Does just... everyone know that I'm your wife? <laughs> they do now. <laughs> they do now. So I'll have said it. I'll have said it in the life. intro. I'll have done a big spiel in the oh, intro. Okay. <laughs> now we're in. Uh, cheers. Cheers, Slanja. Slanja. I'm actually cheersing you with some gin. So what's the gin? So something I would not normally go for, but I actually really love this one. It's mermaid pink gin. Okay. Um, the reason why I wouldn't normally go for that is because um, nose up in the air. Oh, go for it. I am a bit of a gin purist. That's how I would describe myself, but okay. others might think differently. Um, so I'm not really a fan of like flavoured gins. Like I love gin mm-hmm. with just their like pure botanicals and actually with sparkling water. So that you can get so this all is the flavour out of them. Maybe the most controversial thing <laughs> that we'll discuss. <laughs> maybe. The whole time. Uh, gin and sparkling water. What, controversial for you or for the... For the listener. For the listener. For the listener. Right, okay. So, <laughs> gin and sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Not gin and tonic? So I love gin and tonic, but I realised in lockdown that as much as I love gin and tonic and with the amount of bottles that we have on our shelves and... Yeah. The shell's kind of beginning to... Crease. Uh, bend. Crease, bend. <laughs> um, that actually, I like drinking gin and tonic in the presence of other people and not by myself. There you go. Why is that? Because uh, it's a social drink for me. And yeah, social drink for me, it was how I was introduced to gin and tonic. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that would give me would say, like, give me a diet tonic or give me a diet coke. Mm-hmm. But with the amount of sugar and all that stuff in yeah. tonic, lockdown drinking, yeah, it just wasn't helpful. So, yeah. um, actually, sparkling water is great because it keeps you sort of refreshed and you don't feel rubbish after. After you've had it. Yeah, and then going back to the, the gin purist mm-hmm. things I was saying, you get to actually taste the gin for what it is. Yeah, because... The thought of putting sparkling water in my whiskey. I mean, why would you do that? Precisely, but the thought of putting sparkling water in a gin is very, mm. very accepted. So you have a mermaid pink. I've got some whiskey. I also have a cup of tea mm. and a wee cookie. 
because the nice thing about being a host is you get more time to snack on the cookies while you <laughs> tell me the, you know, the profound things that you're going to discuss. So Yeah. Where are we going for there? No, I was going to say, but going back to the gin thing, but the mermaid pink gin is the one sort of flavoured gin that I actually really like. Ah, okay. Yep. Why? Just because it's done really well. And it's actually won quite a few awards. Yeah. Um, and actually, if I was to garnish it, I'd put just a hint of pepper in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Cracked pepper. This is, you know, this is already a nice insight <laughs> into a bit about you, which is things that are done really well are important. Everyone, this is when Mark finds out about things about his wife that he never knew about before. Well, that's the point of, it's you know, the, the microphone now. and the recording going on. It's on the record. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we all heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to drop? <laughs> oh, you wait. Um, so as um, as you wrote in my pre-show survey, mm. firstly, is that the only time you're willing to do a survey for for our lives? <laughs> <laughs> what What else do you have in mind? Oh, it was just really weird sending you a survey. Yeah, it was. So, um, I was so close to putting something in the how do I want to be announced or addressed. Uh-huh. I was so close to putting something in there where you'd have to address me as... I couldn't think of something in the end, which is terrible. <laughs> okay. But I was thinking about this comedian called Neil Delamere, which I won't go into because it's such a long story. But go and check out this comedy sketch with Neil Delamere where he makes a police officer in court say something about himself in court which is very very funny and I was thinking I could do the same thing with Mark but failed okay but you you stated grandly artist promoter and host human rights advocate hairdresser gatherer photographer gin lover covered that baker paddleboarder sky gal and dot 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 my wife I was actually my best friend Holly that wrote that was it (laughs) some of it that's nice some of it oh lovely but that speaks already to uh, your insight is, you know, you have this portfolio career. An eclectic. An eclectic mix. Many people, I think, when you say you have a portfolio career, in fact, many people when we're at a gathering say, what do you do? You kind of giggle, look around. I answering that question. Right. But then you've got it into this portfolio career. So mm-hmm. what's your portfolio career about? Why did you want one? Why did I want Why did you want one? Um... I don't know if I sit out wanting one. I think so. I'm someone that's like a John Ten Ten kind of person. Mm-hmm. You know, what's John Ten Ten? Thief comes to steal life in a night, but I've come to give life in all its fullness. And that was one of my grandpa Moses's favorite verses. And I think for me, yeah, I'm a life in all its fullness kind of person. And um, I think I have the brain and the ability to run quite a few things. Mm. At the same time, um, in a way that I really enjoy. Um, but where I kind of draw the line on that is I won't do something if I can't give kind of quality time to it. Yeah. So often when people hear all the things, mm. I always really enjoy it because it's fun when you say it and then people go, what? What? It's either a conversation ender because folk are like, okay, I can't match that or... No, it's a big start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you talk about it like a rhythm, like mm. playing a groove. So, which is nice because a lot of people would call it a dance and that's miserable. So you call it a, more like a drum groove. <laughs> Do it? Yeah, you talked about it like you've got, you get a groove and each thing has its like place in the rhythm of mm. how you run it. 
And so if they all start to complement, then it works. So if one thing starts to pull you out of time yeah. or out of stuff, then you often are like, well, what's the point? In fact, I, I think you don't even start things because you count it up before. Mm. So how how do you tend to make the portfolio thing work? I think with each of them, I just started them and just didn't stop them. Yeah. Um, and I think I kept... So, yeah, started my working career in human rights, did that for four years, had an amazing time doing that. Um, and then... Human rights, as amazing as it is, it is really heavy and yeah. came out of that organisation burnt um, for various reasons. But I think for one that, that I'll definitely take responsibility for is the fact that I just didn't really have a place to park all that information Yeah. to know where to kind of... Well, you know, like councillors have supervisors so they can park that information to protect themselves. Yeah, it's like... In order to practice as a counsellor, yeah. you're legally required to have supervision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't learned the art of them. Um, and so, but I think I'd had a bit of a kind of pulling towards coming back to Scotland. So I was based in Oxford at the time. And um, yeah, just wanted to come back home to Scotland. And that was in the middle of a full-blown recession. And Which one? <laughs> 2008 one. 2008, yeah. Um, yeah, and just randomly decided I was going to become a hairdresser. In fact, I remember my mum saying to me when I was maybe about like 16, saying, oh yeah, have you seen these like fast track courses that hairdressers mm. can, or people can do to, to change to become hairdressers? And I kind of liked the idea of it, but half scoffed at it as well and thought, me, a hairdresser, never. And put put it back, put it to the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And just this, that conversation came back to me and I thought, actually... I really love that idea. And so, yeah, I came back home to Scotland, trained with the Rainbow Room in Glasgow, and they're one of Scotland's biggest, if not the biggest, salon owners yeah. in Scotland. And they do all the main stage here for what was Tea in the Park, mm. now Transmit. Um, someone who trained me, you know, did Marcus Mumford's hair from Mumford and Sons. And Which is amazing, because it doesn't look like anyone does his hair. Really? Which is, that's the art of it, right? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to come out of a salon like you've had a fresh haircut. Mm. Key thing. Um, yeah, and so that was incredible. So learnt, um, learnt the art of hairdressing within about nine, ten months. Yeah. Paid to do that because it wasn't an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't quite appreciate that hairdressing was going to be a really therapeutic thing for me. Um, I also don't think many of my clients quite appreciate that they have a hairdresser that had a background in human rights. Yeah. So you can imagine those kind of hairdressing, hairdresser sort of client conversations. Um, certainly wasn't about holidays and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was, if asked, yeah, I would share about my background in human rights. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. Um, worked with so many amazing people. And then... Um, Four years being into a hairdresser. In fact, I've been a hairdresser, what, ten years now? Ten years next month, which is mm-hmm. mad. Still, I still don't think I'm a hairdresser in many ways. Um, that's how much I didn't see myself as a hairdresser. Um, but then, yeah, just had a bit of an itch to get back into human rights in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, through various connections and whatever, I landed up with my current organisation. Mm-hmm. CSW. You can say their name. Cool. CSW, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and 
Yeah, and that's me starting my ninth year with them. Wow. And yeah. I'm still a hairdresser. Yeah, and still doing lots of other mm. cool things. Mm. Um, and does, how does one serve the other? Because that's often the thing. Like, And I, I find it fascinating because when you talk about human rights, mm. what I've probably observed recently is like, oh, it doesn't work in necessarily human rights. The reason that you are involved with human rights is to deal with or help deal with human rights abuses. Mm-hmm. So essentially you are dealing with large scale abuse mm-hmm. of fundamental values of humanity, mm-hmm. which is understandably why it wasn't super hilarious to be in it all the time and burnout could occur. But how how does one start to kind of serve the other? I think my human rights, like when I wake up in the morning, it gives me a why for each day. Hmm. Um... It's something I'm 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 so so passionate about, and I'll I'll explain about what it is in a minute. But I, I mean, if I can go back to when I was four, and and it all started there when um, I was watching the charity Children in Need mm. one Friday night in November, as it always is. And I remember just kind of running through to my mum and dad, bawling my eyes out, just like thinking, "What can I do to help?" And I think my little sort of the rationale I had, the little four-year-old brain I had at the time was thinking, I feel like my life's pretty good. I want to make sure that right. other children's lives are just as good as mine. And at that point, this little entrepreneur in me came out and started coming out and started fundraising mm. for children in need. And I just found a real passion and energy in that and something that gave me a sense of direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what got me into human rights. So yeah, like waking up, getting into human rights gives me a wife for every day and um and I love it and coming back into it second time round I've I've learned the lessons the first time round yeah. so I'm, I am able to park that information and where hairdressing serves me in that is it a couple of things yeah I I it can help me indirectly park that information yeah as people ask me oh, questions about it yeah not that I'm doing that to park the information um, it keeps me grounded. Hairdressing, hairdressing keeps me laughing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, hairdressing, especially when um, you are talking about hair, about human rights, that it helps you experiment with what you're saying and figure out what you're trying to say because okay. you you're talking about people's lives here. Mm. So there's that fine tension of not wanting to overhype someone's really painful story but not underplay it as well yeah yeah and so you're able to find a way of sort of practicing your voice in that um in a way that's really safe because the client has asked yeah about just it. what you do yeah yeah okay um but then also hairdressing just gives me a break yeah from it. you know i create a break so i'm able to come back with fresh eyes feel energized um you know, hairdressing is incredibly social for me and I feel like I'm just getting paid to be social. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like a job. Well, so, um, and that's just, you know, a couple of things. You, you mm-hmm. have your hand in other things that interest mm-hmm. you, which is good fun. But the, uh, let's chat the human rights thing then because mm-hmm. I think this is a, I think the specific piece you work on is like a massively underrated part of... Um, and yet it's the biggest in human rights is issue that's yeah discriminated against right yeah so so um 
take the take the time to mm-hmm. <laughs> explain it. It's called f- Forb, right? Freedom of religion, religion. or belief. Freedom of religion or belief. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what is it? And how does it work or not work? <laughs> so yeah, the organisation I work for is called CSW. CSW. And we are a Christian organisation that stands up for all faiths and none. Meaning, as Christians, we stand up for persecuted Christians. As Christians, we stand up for persecuted Muslims. As Christians, we stand up for persecuted atheists. Mm-hmm. Now, why... People are probably thinking, why, why atheists? True freedom is having the freedom to believe in something, but also the freedom to not believe in something. Yeah but also the freedom to change your belief Mm. as well. And so um, the article 18 of um, uh, of sort of... The UN UN Human Rights Declaration? uh Getting my tongue twisted (laughs) here. Um, Yeah, and that kind of talks about that of having the right to practice worship Mm -hmm. in private and in public to to change your religion or belief. and so people who don't want to believe in something, they should be, they should have that right protected yeah. too. Yeah. And actually what's crazy is in, in places like, in some countries like Bangladesh, um, and this, this can happen all over the world, which is to use one example, some atheist bloggers can actually, have actually been hacked to death mm-hmm. because of their public belief in atheism. So actually yeah. in some countries, whether it might be for cultural reasons or political reasons or for whatever kind of reason, it can actually be unhelpful to not be to not believe in something. Yeah. And so we as Christians want to protect your right to believe, um, and we we also do that from a, a theological um, point of view as well as a practical point yeah. of view. Um, you know, if anyone listening here, you're really not into religion, and you you might want to switch, or you're thinking of switching off right now. Like, let me tell you, don't do it. <laughs> let me tell you, and um, you know, countries that embrace Forb. It's good for business. It is good for the economy. Mm. Why is that? Because, I mean, I'm seeing that even in countries, for example, that have outright banned cryptocurrencies tend to also be countries that have outright banned religions. Interesting. religions. Mm. So what, what is it about banning freedom of religion that, um, yeah. that causes the business struggle? And- so the greater the restrictions on religious freedoms actually the greater the risk of um religious persecution and um when countries embrace freedom of religion or belief for all what that does is that helps to um encourage stability peace rule of law democracy diversity um and these are key fundamental things that help a society to function Mm. You know, and so that encourages local and national and international investment yeah. from businesses. Yeah. But when you don't have that in a country, what like it just wouldn't make business sense to invest in that. Mm-hmm. So countries that embrace Forb, it's good for the economy. It's yeah. good for business. Do you think, okay, would you rather, I don't want to say, would you rather hard thing, but if a country primarily adopted Forb because they wanted to improve their business... Is that kind of like, oh, at least it's good enough, it protects people, or is the hope, or do 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 we need them to kind of morally get it to um, really validate and, and think that the society's going to function? 
it's not one position. Yeah, yeah. It's the whole thing. There's so many, so many reasons why you want people, you want countries, countries and people to embrace freedom of religion or belief. Um, and every country will have a different reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, it's, but at the end of the day, it's, it's that human thing. You know, we're all human beings. You know, you want, in an ideal world, we'd all be living freely, mm-hmm. loving our neighbours and embracing our differences mm-hmm. um, at its most purest form. Yeah. Um, thinking out loud here and there's so many other things I could add to that. But yeah, on a human level. Yeah. Yeah. Does, um, I really like thinking about four, I think it's um, kind of less acknowledged than I'd expect it to be maybe in faith communities in the UK. But I, I particularly appreciate how CSW and your gang go about promoting it. Um, what, why why wouldn't people just say, well, of course, it's good for business, it's good for ethics, it's good for this. Why would people be resistant to FORB? Fear. Mm, of? So I think it's incredibly normal to want to stand up for your clan. Mm, okay. And so, to want to stand up for your people. Um, and when you might have perceptions of other faiths or beliefs, yeah. you might have a fear of... So quite often I have to kind of caveat this stuff, especially when I'm speaking on platforms saying, and before anyone thinks I'm promoting different faiths or beliefs as a Christian here, I'm not. Hmm. But I am standing up for their right to believe, and I'm saying that as a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that kind of settles people's um, possible fears around that. Right. Certainly in certain, amongst certain audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sentiment of, I um, live very openly not to agree with that position, but I would die for your right to yeah. hold that position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which people are doing. Yeah, totally. Um, and when you go into the, certainly, you know, if you're speaking to Christians and you go into the theological standpoint and um, viewpoint of that, you know, when you help people journey in that. And yeah. then actually, in my experience, um, I found that probably 99.9% of people just, just get it. Yeah. Our challenge is that it, it can take a little bit of time to explain. So we don't always have the luxury of time to kind of, yeah. you know, explain it like that. Um, and so... To kind of try and find your tweet length yeah, yeah. explainer um, is not an easy task, depending on who you're talking to, what you're talking about, why it's come up and, and all that. And so, um, yeah, it just takes time to explain. I, I think the reason why so many people get it is because we live in this complex world and I think deep down in our core, we just want to connect. You know, and there's so many differences and so much division. And when you think about the opposite of anger, mm-hmm. the emotion of anger, the op- the opposite of that is intimacy. It's mm. connection. You know, we want to connect. Who wants to live beside neighbours that you don't get on with? Yeah. You know, so I, I, what I've found that is when talking about Forb, it gives people language. It helps them to think, oh, actually, I can find ways of loving my neighbour. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I can still be, still have my identity, I mm-hmm. can be different from them, but I can accept them and love them for who they are. Mm-hmm. And that builds trust. Yeah, yeah. Does um, does it help us let go of some of the more um, 
excessively defensive parts of religious belief as well. So some, so to have the value of Forb and still identify with a religion, does that potentially stop people from um, building walls around their religion? And it takes off some of the more tribal edges of the religion and lets oh, it actually stand 100%. on its own merit. Because CSW in our logo, it says CSW, everybody, yeah. full stop, free to believe, full stop, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. And it's having that freedom to believe in that and having the confidence to believe yeah. in that. You know, like, we, we dream dreams, actually, we will outdo ourselves of a job. Yeah. Because we've done it so well that we've solved the issue, we've solved the problem. Yeah. When that's going to happen is beyond me. (laughs) If that will ever happen, you know, and even from a theological perspective, you know. Will it ever happen? uh Uh-huh. Right. But you can dream. Mm -hmm. We can dream. And um, from an educational point of view as well, it is so important that we're teaching the next generations of this world to love their neighbour. Yeah. Because actually so many children, so many religious minority children actually see their education suffer because of their belief. How does that work? So, okay, Pakistan being a really good example of that. Pakistan, who is the biggest recipient of UK aid, that money, parts of that money has been used Mm -hmm. to adapt textbooks to teach hate against religious minorities. So Christian children and, and Hindu children, for example, who are religious minorities within Pakistan. Yeah. You know, they, they, there's these things called communal cups. And I don't know if they're doing this in COVID, but they have communal cups that they drink water out of. But religious minority children are not allowed to drink out of these communal cups because they're seen as dirtying the water. Mm. It was one of the reasons why we saw Asia Bibi, um, the Christian lady who was found on death row mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she was accused of, of effectively dirtying the water. Oh, right. Because she had drunk, or apparently she had drunk out of water that she'd been asked to collect. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of these children, and, 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 and in that, the textbooks are teaching, are encouraging effectively their teachers and their peers to physically and verbally abuse and harass these religious yeah. minorities. And this is like... Um, and our money's paying for that. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we, we actually worked with um, what was DFID, um, but now the FCDO, we petitioned them to say, hey, you yeah. need to realise that the money that you're filtering through these countries, this is what's happening in this country. Yeah. So the final thing I maybe want to say on CSW is that, yeah, we are an advocacy organisation um, and we believe that it helps to deal with the root cause yeah. of situations. So we'll work with... UK government, uh, the EU um, will go to Capitol Hill in Washington we've got UN status and we'll come in with our inclusive specialism um, in a way that's non-biased and they depend on the information that we give them and that helps to influence legislation and for these governing bodies to respond to human rights abuses and it is um it is working like i remember well, i don't know if it's a year ago but certainly around the um persecution of the uyghurs mm. that that made its way through maybe people in your network mm-hmm. who were then on major podcasts and so i saw um joe rogan posting about it mm. i saw sam harris you know one of the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse from <laughs> back when i mean he was championing it mm-hmm. 
um, it was all over the place. Lots of uh, MMA fighters mm. were backing this cause. And so, yeah, there's, there's a beautiful way that it it's, it's a very direct approach, isn't it? Mm. That engages with the individuals who are suffering and their well-being and, and cases. But it's also, it leaks out into the, the zeitgeist, into the bigger picture, which is quite powerful. So, mm, um, let's go from Forb <laughs> to, uh, to Sky. <laughs> to Sky. <laughs> Just to show the joy of the the nature of the portfolio. Just take a sip of our whiskey now. Yeah, so we are, yeah, okay, we are in the Ardnamurkin special whiskey. Um, it's been very good. I've managed to have that with a chocolate orange cookie while mm. you were talking about Forb there. So and how was that for you? It was good. It went well with the whiskey. Did it? And the Forb chat. Nice. So, but uh, Sky, that's one of the, mm. the things that's... Well, you know, it's a big part of what you do and a big part of maybe why it inspires a lot of what you do. So mm. um, what is it about the island of Skye that is meaningful to you? It's where I'm from. It's where I went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to school in uh, the central bit of Scotland at some point in my life as well. But no, Skye is, is home for me. It was um, where I was for the first part of my life um, and for lots of other years of my life as well um and it's a it's a place that I go back to obviously because like my family are up there my grandparents are up there my parents are up there um it's a real anchoring point for me Mm. love traveling abroad but you know I would if I I had the choice of getting to travel abroad for the rest of my days or just going back to sky I'd quite happily go back to sky yeah Yeah. um Uh, what role does um environment and anchoring play clears my head Helps me to experience the perspective as much as view and see the perspective as well as gain the perspective. Yeah, so it's not just about looking at the photos of the thing, it's actually saying be in it, do the hike, do the walk, do the work, experience something. And you know, there is this very understandable complaint people have on Sky about click and go. Get a lot of tourists that'll come up and they'll they'll just click and go like they won't necessarily go out and properly mm. experience sky. Um, whereas for me, because I love photography so much, photography forces me to stop, be in the elements, focus myself, mm. focus on what I'm focusing on, and trying to capture that moment, and then and then trying to share that. So I, I wouldn't quite have the click and go mentality, but I'm definitely out there. Trying to get lost in the hills. Yeah. Trying to be in places that you just can't see anyone for a while, actually. Yeah. Um, Why is that so good for us? I remember chatting with like uh, Andy Bevan about that. It's it seems really weird, but to go somewhere that ideally you can see for like ten miles in mm-hmm. any direction, and there's no other humans there. Because we didn't make any of it. Mm. None of it was man-made. Oh yeah. And people just spoil that view then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> man not... may ruin maybe through climate change views <laughs> but um, yeah none of it was man made yeah so it's a bit awe inspiring yeah it is a giant reset button isn't it mm. to like whatever story's running whatever narrative's running about your work or your mm. the way the world is the way the news cycle goes it's um, 
it's huge to actually get somewhere where actually none of that changes. Like after lockdown, going back there, I know it sounded ridiculous, but seeing a giant hill with sheep on it, you just thought, oh, nothing's changed that thing. Mm. Like that thing's been there for thousands mm. of years, just like wearing away slowly mm. by rain and covered in sheep just pooping on it all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know, I suppose it's a form of stability. Mm-hmm. When people may lack stability. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. You know, and every time I leave Sky, and I hate leaving Sky, and there's a few things I would say I hate, but I hate leaving Sky. I always remind myself that Sky will always be there. Mm. You know, and I think that helps to anchor, it brings me back to my roots. Yeah. Love talking about family. Yeah, yeah. It's where I was introduced to alcohol, actually. Really? Yeah. Sounds like that was a young age. <laughs> uh, what, in my dummy? <laughs> yeah. um, did you get that? Do you think you did? I wouldn't be surprised, but it's not something that would be encouraged or done often, I don't think. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and I thank them for it. Um, yeah, no, I, it was where I was introduced to alcohol in many ways because back in sort of my grandparents' home, um, which is a place that I you know, did grow up in for various bits of my life. Um, dinner's always at six o'clock, so around about five o'clock, grand grandpa will crack open a bottle of wine mm-hmm. or pour some whiskey or gin. That's where I got introduced to gin. And what I love about that was grand grandpa who, you know, run a uh, five-bed guest house in uh, a croft. Mm-hmm. You know, life for them is pretty ship shape, and so to come together at four, at five o'clock with yeah. a drink and yeah. to be able to kind of share stories of the day and what they were up to, or share stories of the past, or get curious about the future, or whatnot, which is a great space to kind of yeah. converse and yeah. hustle over things that you you yeah felt differently about, but also agree on stuff and learn. And yeah. that was how I, I suppose came to appreciate alcohol. And um, you've described that as the more accurate term for what. Achilles. Yeah, because everyone thinks Achilles is Achilles dance. Which is. But actually, Achilles is grabbing a drink, coming together, sharing stories. For some people, there might be music. Hmm. Um, but if you were going, if you were going to dance, you would you would call it Achilles dance. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to Achilles, you were going for the chat and the stories yeah, and, and the being together. Yeah. I quite like that. Yeah, me too. Um, so the, there's stability there. There's heritage there, there's memories there, there's um, there's some amazing mountains, mm. and uh, how excellent was it when we did that Blavin mountain? <laughs> <laughs> there's a story there, isn't there, Mark? <laughs> Actually, it was amazing because we bought six bottles of Evian water, which was an absolute mistake, because we didn't need them in the end, if anything, we poured the water out. Mm-hmm. Because we were able to fill the water with, with the gorgeous streams. Fresh mountain springs. Yeah. I'm amazed that's your... I'm really happy that's your take home <laughs> from that trip. Because I remember being halfway up the mountain and it was worse than the end of Lord of the Rings where they are scrambling <laughs> to find their find their way. And um, it was it was a, an interesting time. Mm. It was, um, you know, it really brought out the more raw emotions mm. and the deeper 
you know, wells of um, focus <laughs> and <laughs> resilience when we were scrambling down the rocks. I obviously had something in my system that I had to get out that day. <laughs> <laughs> Left all that there. <laughs> um, so uh, there's all these amazing things and why mm. you do them. Um, I really enjoy hearing a wee bit about how you do what you do. And I'm uh, clearly witness to much of that day by day. But uh, if you were to describe, you know, you've got the portfolio career, you've got the, um, actually like a really massive role in terms of human rights abuses and improving those cases and lots of other hands and things. How would you describe how you do what you do? Uh, grateful for my iPhone because that keeps yeah. me in check and yeah. being able to kind of manage it all. Um, flexibility. Um, flexibility and good boundaries yeah. um, is how I managed to kind of do it all uh, and piece it all together um, there's definitely moments where like I mean yeah definitely moments where it can be overwhelming sometimes but actually I don't know I, I can't really give you a, a theory or a how I do it I do it because I love doing it yeah. and I'm a great believer if you love doing something you just find a way of doing it yeah. you know how many things do you love doing that you're in the habit of doing, you don't even have to think about it, it becomes instinctive. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't do any of this stuff if I didn't love doing it. So part of that good boundaries bit is the saying no to things, but I wonder... Which is a, which is a commitment to protecting stuff. Right, because there's a whole thing around like, say no, say mm. no. But how how do you, because I notice you have an ability to not even have to get to the point where you say yes or no, you just consider things that set in your passion and and just get right into those. So I, I feel like you don't have much confusion around your commitments because mm-hmm. you select them quite clearly. Do you know, I'm, I'm all about accommodation over compromise. Mm-hmm. I'm not a compromise person at all because compromise can mean different things to different people. But for me, I feel compromise can, if you're not careful, can lead to resentment. Mm. Whereas accommodation is all about finding ways of fitting things in mm-hmm. even if it means that what you want to do doesn't happen straight away but you will find a way of making it happen in time to come and I suppose you know that's how I've approached our marriage don't know about you <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just a steaming bowl of resentment <laughs> but I would never dream of saying hey Mark I don't like that about you I don't want you to do that stop doing it yeah. you'd probably resent me for it you know and actually for me how I take on accommodation or view accommodation rather is my life just becomes fuller mm-hmm. I mean you can you can see the cheese drilling out of your iPhone if you're li- or whatever device you're listening listening to this podcast on if you're listening to it with what I'm about to say here but yeah my life is much fuller because of how I accommodate you Thanks. <laughs> in my life <laughs> that was cheese or I don't know what that is <laughs> I'm glad your life is better for marrying me. <laughs> Hear that. Your life is better for marrying me. It's because I have to accommodate you, Mark. Okay, good. Good. Um, good. So how you do what you do is... It's a mindset. Yeah. Okay. There's I was no, going to say it's no, basically... There's no theory to it. It's not basically because you're married to me. No. Okay. But I've had to find a way of accommodating that into my life. <laughs> into your mindset. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, okay, so it's, 
Right, it's boundaries, it's mindset, it's... Accommodation. It's accommodation. Yeah. Um, talk about chasing progress and having goals beyond your goals. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, I suppose everyone's doing loads of reflections in sort of the last two years of the pandemic, which to me still feels like it's been a year, but it's too... To keep, I keep keep catching myself right in 2020. Oh. Yeah. Which is mad. But do you ever notice that people are doing things now and they're like, oh yeah, I haven't done this for three years. And you're like, what were you doing the year before? Yeah, true. Where were we in 2019? Like, oh, it's been three years since we've done this. And you're like, but the pandemic's not even two I years know. old. So yeah, I think some of the reflections I've been having is I'm a very goal-driven person, but there's been times where I have set out to achieve an, achieve a goal I've achieved it and then I've kind of shocked myself in the sense of not feeling overly at peace mm-hmm. once I've achieved it. Yeah. And that's because in my head I'm thinking I've achieved it now what? Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, the more I think about it, dreams would be that you achieve it and then you think, great, let's get into the cruise with this goal. Yeah. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, there's definitely been moments in my life where I've had to kind of handle that and, you know, you kind of think, what was all that effort all about? If then once I've suddenly achieved it, I'm kind of like, now what, you know, why can't I be content with the fact that I've now finally achieved that and now I can run with it? Yeah. And so I've actually found, it's it's a both and thing, it's not either or. Having a sense of progress, which is about, you know, Simon Sinek will talk about the infinite process of... Mm, yeah, playing con- infinite games. Yeah. yeah. So it's the continuation of, of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that, and where that speaks to me is that it means that I get less restless once I've achieved something. And actually I see goals as just merely marker points. Yeah. And so this is where the having the goals beyond your goals thing... Right. Helps me to have a sense of continually moving forward while yeah. still being present and content. Yeah, that's such a oh, this is such a like mind mush. Mm. Um, Lots of words there. Well, but this thing around um, being present and content with with your lot is I mean, if you're not that, then it's just misery all day. But also having drive an ambition for something that is not reached yet and simultaneously feeling and being in those two things um is is sort of the the game right now mm. isn't it because so many folks equate achievement with peace which seems crazy like oh i'll only get peace once i've achieved this thing that mm-hmm. i currently don't have mm-hmm. that makes no sense it's like well why don't you just have peace regardless um, but to have some kind of sense of achievement and to have something beyond that for for you brings peace to the moment as well as possibility for the future. Yeah. Seems to work. Well done. <laughs> You've cracked it. <laughs> Close all the books. You've cracked it. <laughs> um, and the, the way that you do that, so um, how do you do like morning routines that you find useful is mushroom coffee one of them and if it's not one of them will it ever be one of them it's probably one thing i don't accommodate you like <laughs> <laughs> mushroom coffee it tastes like flipping instant coffee with 
mushroom flavouring wow. in it. Okay. As much as I love mushrooms. Um, something I'm learning more and more uh, where routines are really good and helpful. Um, you know, routines are... They help you in that infinite process and at one point something will happen, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you to kind of scale up on things or it helps you to kind of anchor yourself for set you up for your day so for me my morning ritual is yeah just to get up have really strong coffee it is love strong black coffee mm-hmm. uh, maybe a cup or two and I really I really enjoy just watching watching a review yeah um, just having that peace in the moment so we're looking at the fourth row bre- mm-hmm. uh, fourth bridge and mm-hmm. the sea and yeah and all the colours in the sky um you know, and I'll do that on the weekend. Um, I find that actually, I find getting up earlier on the weekend far easier than I do during the week. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love making the most of my days. Um, certainly on my days off, and yeah, so I'll, I find that I'll get up really early on the weekend. Yeah. And we'll just love snuggling down just with a coffee and just watching the view and maybe watching something that is of interest to me that I can learn about or... Something daft, something funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes, queen. <laughs> um, and, you know, just like get my head out of the week and get it into that weekend, so... Yeah. Um, and how do you organise time and energy? Um... I get no theory to it, it's a mindset, you know. And they, I feel like I've kind of said this already, just about the, the accommodation side of things, my iPhone, my... Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you have a, a nice balance of calendaring important things. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maybe, also yeah. creating spontaneous I was about to say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what's, spontaneous what's community. Like? I think that comes, kind of goes back to Sky. Um, in fact, this is another thing I love about Sky because there's so much of the way I think and do and behave that is because of my life on Sky and that I bring down here. And one of those things is spontaneous community. You mm. very rarely organise stuff. You just show up, you know. And when you show up, like, you're not there for the whole night. Like, my grand grandpa, I've got people pre-pandemic, you know, popping by all the time. But they're not there for hours on end. Mm. You know, it's for a quick cuppa or it's because they've run out of bacon, yeah. you know. Um, as they're all cooking their breakfast for their bed and for all their guests. And, um, you know, when I moved down to Edinburgh and, and Oxford, it was a real shock to the system when you suddenly had to start booking in yeah. people, which was like three weeks in advance, sometimes more. And, and that's just... And once it's got longer and longer yeah. over the last few years. To the point that I caught myself saying no when someone gave me the opportunity to immerse myself in spontaneous community because I was like, you haven't given me notice, you know? Mm. And that was, I allowed myself to be influenced by the people around me that were kind of doing that. And I, and I remember having a conversation with her pal Jim and I think we were just saying, what happened to spontaneous community? Mm. And I love that. And I think what Spontaneous Community says is, hey, I've got time for you. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Or like, are you... So sometimes it would be, I'm free in three months or tomorrow night. Yeah. And that's not to say that I'm not busy because I think mm. there's a fear of people giving off the impression that they're not busy. No. Actually, making time for people on a busy schedule is incredibly meaningful. Yeah, yeah. 
And so saying, hey, I've got time for you. I'm up for it if you're up for it, yeah. you know. Let's see what happens, you know. Let's see what the what kind of magic we can kind of create there. And I think when you start getting in the habit of doing that, yeah. So some of our friends, we just don't book each other in because we just know we're going to see each other on quite a mm, in quite regular, a regular week. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't even have to worry about when we're going to see each other because it's going to happen. Yeah, and that whole notion of like just being booked to mm-hmm. high heaven, interesting this notion of like time poverty is now creeping in as a as like a real deficit that whatever like a lot of people have that are in admittedly lifestyles where they have um lots of disposable income mm-hmm. like it's it's like they really push for as much disposable income as possible and then they become really deeply you know just busy busy filled up and then complaining of that and it is it's like this incredible luxury time mm. um money can't buy it yeah yeah right like it's it's um it's amazing to actually have the privilege mm-hmm. of time and yet it can be very simple for folks to just deposit all of that in the perception of being busy and mm. not fulfilled just just busy so mm. um which definitely got well for many people was shaken up during the the last couple of years, for many, it, it it doubled down and it was even worse. And you know, I think some of my friends would say this too. I just don't want my whole life mapped out. Hmm. Yeah. I want some of it mapped out. I just don't want all of it mapped out. Yeah. You know, it's nice to think that some parts of my day or some parts of my week might be a nice surprise. Yeah. 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 You know, it's not just like wallpaper on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What would be a few key habits that make your life work? Um, a few key habits. Editing photos. That's very true. That's when you're at your best. <laughs> <laughs> and taking photos, immersing myself in experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, immersing myself in experiences. Um... I feel like I'm, people might have a perception of what habits are um, and what I might give them is just not what they're looking for. But yeah, no, for me, it's it's the anchoring points, finding those anchoring points and returning to them often. Yeah, okay. Um, I have habits of trying to understand my ancestry, trying to understand the people around me um, as a way of either trying to learn from them or trying to... Um, carry their good bits yeah. and offering offering them out to people yeah um and one one of the things that really seems to draw on that is the way that you would choose to gather people mm-hmm. and be involved in in gathering so mm-hmm. that's that's been cool i know you've been reading the art of the gathering by <laughs> priya, parker. priya parker phenomenal um and what is it what is about gatherings that makes life more meaningful and rich do you know, I'm only halfway through that book and I've started that book three years ago and I'm mm-hmm. dyslexic and I struggled to, I, I think I struggled to read books. I've got a new challenge for myself this year, but anyway, that's... I think you read them better than me. <laughs> I think I binge. Really? And you actually read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you've read more books than I have. I know, but I think I binge them. It's like saying I watched more Netflix and you're like, yeah, but I've seen The Godfather and a documentary that actually made some impact. Yeah. But 
the reason why I say that is because like even the first half of that book, and I'm determined to finish that book this year, the first half of that book was just so mind-blowing um, in terms of thinking about how we gather. Mm-hmm. And I just think so much of life, so much of how we gather, is just the same. We, we gather in the same way often. And that's not a bad thing, but I think there's sometimes elements of how we gather become dysfunctional or unhelpful so for example our wedding you know our wedding was our wedding because we had a a number issue to deal with not an issue we had a, we had a number to deal with which mm. was the size of my family yeah and our friends um, <laughs> <laughs> you know and I, I think I was like a let's just find a way of making this happen on a reasonable budget yeah anyway that aside you know, how many weddings do you go to and how many of those weddings kind of stand out for you? And yes, and yet, like, a lot of couples will think, yeah, I want a wedding that's different from everything else, you know, and actually it quite often is the same. Yeah. Bar a few tiny details. And so I think, like, when we approached our wedding, you we looked at every single element of your average wedding and we questioned why. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't a good idea, we sacked it and just brought in something different. So, for example, um, our meal, mm. 350-day guess. How on earth are you going to afford to pay for that? Somehow we did, on a tiny budget. You know, we decided to, instead of having tables where everyone was sat down for yeah. hours on end, you know, and you're if you are as great as some tables can be, you can also go to some tables where actually the conversation is naff. <laughs> Well, that's what you bring, you know. You got we got to go more because you know I'm, I get put at them tables just to make it golden. And that is not to say that I don't try. I do try, but there's times you're just like, wow. yeah, this is effort. If you've ever shared a table with Ruth at a wedding, I'm sorry for how you were made to feel. Are you talking in a minute here? Um, no, you know, and I think for us. We decided to have, we went to three restaurants mm-hmm. that were all neighbours that yeah. all had this amazing outdoor shared common public space. Um, and one restaurant did a starter, one did a main and the other did a, a dessert. Mm. And everyone, if they wanted to go inside, they could go inside. But actually the weather was so hot, everyone stayed outside, which was the dreams anyway. And we had a right hoot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People got to mingle, they got to move, they got to experience and what was amazing about that was all the restaurants gave us a 50% discount yeah. because of our numbers. Yeah. So here we are, 350 day guests, paid an absolute fraction of what we would have paid had we taken 120 day guests to a hotel. Mm-hmm. And actually it was a win-win because people were getting a right good experience out of it. They were getting to kind of catch up with whoever they wanted to yeah. rather than have to be with the same table for hours on end. You know, and so I, I think... I'm always, I'm not an event planner, but I'm an event designer or a gathering designer. I love thinking about how we gather. I love thinking about who's in the room. I love thinking about giving everyone a purpose in that room. Because how many times do you come to a gathering and you notice that your behaviour kind of changes because you don't have a sense of purpose there? Yeah. Even if it's a tiny little thing. Like, bring this piece to it. Bring this piece, bring an offering or... Hey Mark, would you mind making sure that everyone got everyone's yeah. glasses are topped up? Yeah, yeah. You know, something as as simple as that yeah. actually gives someone a sense of purpose, and that can actually help their behaviour and how they show up. Yeah. 
in a gathering. Um, how you prime people in an event, like make people work for your event so that they mm. can get excited about it, so that they can come with an offering of some type. Right. You know, I think maybe a little skin in the game before they're totally. coming. Totally. Um, you know, if if the pandemic wasn't happening right now, I would be saying, consider the size of your room. Like, I've gone to so many events where people think, oh, we'll easily get this number, get this massive big venue, and then a fraction of the people turn up. And what that experience does to the people that turn up is like, oh, right, so you clearly didn't have the demand here, so you kind of shot yourself in the foot, or... There's just too much space here. And so you find people are trying to huddle to these... To the corners. The corners, yeah. the small spaces or the smaller rooms. So, like, don't be afraid to kind of think or to be realistic about how many people you think will actually turn up. And then yeah. find a suitable room size that fits them. Yeah. Um, and then work up to the bigger spaces. Yeah. Like, I, I founded a thing called Sawyer Sessions and we, we started in a coffee shop with 50 people. And then it became 150 people. It became 150 people, space. which was like practically illegal. <laughs> and it happened so quickly because of the fact that we made people feel cosy in that space mm. that it actually forced us to get to a bigger space. And I, I remember how scared I was moving to this bigger venue. It was an amazing venue and it turned out to be amazing. But we grew sixfold in two years, three yeah. years. Yep, yep. You know, 350 yep. people. This venue was that our second venue was full within a matter of a couple of events. Um, again. And yeah, so like, don't be afraid to kind of start small and then scale mm. up because people don't people will not remember what you say, what you do. They will remember how you feel. And that that was that was also one of the things about our wedding as well that I remembered was like. We could have easily gone for this like phenomenal venue, which people would coo over. Mm. But actually, see if you're not with like great people. If you're not comfortable with, or the you, if you're not comfortable around. with, yeah, the, yeah you're the venue doesn't it doesn't matter yeah. to you anymore. It fades very quickly. Yeah, right, right. And then that's the kind of waste of the money for the folk mm. that are spending mm. it. You know, yeah, people care about how you make them feel in that space. Mm. And I think if you do that well, they will show up more to what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that art of the gathering book has obviously been really enriching. I think it is a better case in point that you are a better reader than me because, as I said, you're halfway through it and you've just uh, very brilliantly... I feel like, like I've soaked in every word. Because yeah, exactly. Way, and you've represented way, it. <laughs> but the way I read the like, this yeah. is why I struggle to read like books, or I think I struggle to read books, is because of my dyslexia... I have to read, like, lines a couple of times to kind of soak it in. Yeah, that's the way. And so it puts me off mm. trying to trying to read a book. And so yeah. my, my strategy for this year is to read multiple books at the same time. Which is such a good way to read. Little bits yep. of each one. That is how some absolute legends, like Naval Ravikant, that's his main strategy, is mm. read many things at a time. And just, if you're bored, stop. Yeah. Change it up. So what, what else are you reading? Uh, Oprah Winfrey's What I Know Now. Is that like a daily devotional? Oprah yeah. in daily devotional yeah. form? A really, a book about po being positive, gratitude, being optimistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, loving your little 
ah moments, which is, you know, your coffees or your chai tea lattes yeah. or whatever, you know, like finding joy in the little things as much as the big things yeah. or those moments where you just feel so liberated and so free and so loose and yeah. you don't care about what's going on. Um, so I love that. Oprah Winfrey is probably the one person that I'd probably probably properly fangirl. I would pay so much money to see that happen. <laughs> I'd probably scare myself, actually. <laughs> Um, that um, I totally forgot the author's name, but keep going. Austin Cleon. Austin Cleon. Yes. Brilliant book. Right. Um, and that's that's sort of more like quotes, pictures, mm-hmm. short short chapters. It's just designed for yeah. like taking in inspiration mm-hmm. for um, keeping keeping yeah. going. Yeah. Charlie Maxey. Um, I think everyone's reading Charlie Maxey at the moment. The boy, the mole. The fox, fox and, the horse. and the horse. Have you heard about that parody account that's starting of that? Yeah. It's like blowing up on Twitter. There's going to be some NFTs of it. I wouldn't recommend it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very beautiful book. That basically every page is like a heart jerker mm. of an illustration mm. of of like some animals and a little mm. boy. For me, another example. Where's the boys? You know, caters. There in the form of a horse, a mole, yeah. and a fox. Yeah. We're back in the Hundred Acre Wood. This is my issue with Winnie the Pooh, which we'll do on the next time that we do this. Uh, next. But it is actually a very beautiful <laughs> book. I think it probably stopped Britain from rioting hmm. over lockdown. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. Um, <laughs> Priya Barker's obviously in The Art of the Gathering, yeah. uh, The Bible. Yeah. Someone said to me recently, they're like, they read the book of Habakkuk every single day for a year, I think it was. Wow. Which actually, re- I really resonated with that. Or I, yeah, I, I really liked that because yeah. it reminded me of how, how it, I can read, I, you know, I read short articles, or I read blogs. Yeah. That's fine. But it's the idea of reading a book. Like for me, I feel like I need to climb a mountain before I can mm. mentally climb mm-hmm. a mountain before I can start doing that. But actually, it's because I just hadn't found the right strategy around reading yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I refuse to tell myself, or oh, I struggle to read books, or no, give me an audio version because. Yeah. Um, you find the voice boring if they're not. So monotone. <laughs> so monotone. <laughs> give me the personality. <laughs> Everyone else, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and so I think what I really liked about that was, yeah, it, it was just like, oh, actually, effectively, what you're doing is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm soaking in each bit. In small ways. Yeah. So he's reading the same book every single day for a whole year or a month. You know, and I, I find that extremely helpful. It is actually quite inspiring. Like, I, I genuinely do often try and consume, like, a lot of stuff. And I get, I'm get i starting to get book FOMO if I've not got, like, the next one that Ryan Holiday's done or this bit. And I actually quite admire the way that you can extract things from a book and then like represent it in your day and actually apply it because I think that's why people write books there's, do you know another reason why I'm doing it and it's because um, I listened to this podcast um, by Matt Ford the political <laughs> comedian <laughs> that had MP Peter Kyle on it who's also dyslexic um, and I totally lost my point so this is a dyslexic yep. thing coming through what was I going to say Peter Kyle was uh, working with Anita Roddick yes in the that's what shop. it was Anita Roddick and um, 
because of his dyslexia, he's got an amazing kind of story around school um, that was chaotic for him, but then also amazing in the end. But he wasn't able to get into university initially. And when he started working for the body shop, Anita said, you have to go to university because you're relying too much on your instincts and you're not using... Your brain. Your brain, or you're not expanding your brain enough. Mm. Um, and that really spoke to me. Now, I'm not saying go to university. University is for some people. University was not for you That's and true. I. You and I, we we studied doing bespoke courses and different things, and that's fine. But I think what that said to me was, I need to stop telling myself I can't learn through this way or that way because I struggle or because society tells me that I I can't because of how dyslexia plays a role in my life. Dyslexia for me is my gift. It's not a disability. It's another ability. Yeah. And there's things that I can bring to the table that others can't because of my dyslexia. And so I find myself talking up as much as I possibly can rather than saying, caveat, I'm dyslexic, cop out, can't do it. I might set it to manage expectations, but I have had to work to not tell myself or speak over myself or believe the... I can't do X, Y, and Z because mm. society tells me I can't do X, Y, and Z. It's actually I just haven't found the right strategy. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I'm at with reading this year, which for me feels massive. Yeah, well, it was working very, very well. It's pretty cool. So far, anyway. Um, think you'll ever write a book? Um, I remember attempting to write a book when I was a kid. What was it? I think it was some kind of fictional thing. My grand, like my great grandmother, was an author. Oh, yeah. I find I've got quite a few family members that have written books, and so I like the idea, the the, mm. the romantic idea, not necessarily rom- writing romantic books, but the romantic idea of writing books. But yeah, I definitely would be interested in writing a book, but it probably would be something like Austin Cleon's way of yeah. writing books. Yeah, something that you can pick up anytime. It gives you a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because because even with Priya's book, like I've. I've written down actually how I consumed half of that book so far was the bits that really stuck out to me. I actually typed out in my phone, so I feel like I've got like a mini version of that yeah, yeah. of all the relevant information. Yeah, you know, and different bits of that book will speak to different people. Um, but I think a book like Austin Cleon's book, which has a combination of illustration and writing, really forces you to kind of make. Sure, that every word counts. Yeah, every word does count. Priya Parker's big, but in Austin Cleon's form of writing books, that would probably be how I would do. Yeah, I buy it. Really? <laughs> Not just because you're mad. No, maybe? no. <laughs> eh, the first gift I think I ever got you was oh the four day work week, and I've never what I've never four, read it yet. You definitely haven't, because it's called the four hour work. Oh, sorry. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was my first attempt at saying eh, I like you here's a four hour work week book <laughs> honestly see the many people have said to me you should totally read this book or people have bought me books like I've been really grateful for people who bought me books but deep down there's been that kind of mm. uh, like sinking moment of I'm going to struggle to read this mm-hmm. I really want to read it but I'm going to struggle 
that's this year's challenge. Which is going well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and how can people connect with you other than automatically seeing p- the pictures of Sky in their social feeds because <laughs> they're going bananas? <laughs> I don't get how some go nuts and some don't. I still haven't worked that one out yet. Um, Instagram and Twitter. Yep. Instagram, you are... Ruth Sky. Twitter, you are... Ruth Donaldson. And that's the places, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the good stuff is. I mean, that's how Edinburgh Airport found me. Yeah, you did some blogging for Edinburgh Airport. Yeah. Hey? That was great. Still technically I'm a blogger, but I haven't done anything in a while. Um, and um, what is, you know, what's your dreams for Scotland's Home of the Year next year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. Um, to create even more laughs in our shoddy WhatsApp group. Wow. And to meet Anna Campbell-Jones. Okay. That is a goal beyond a goal. Yeah. So that works. I mean, I have been conversing with Anna Campbell-Jones about her amazing tartan trousers, so, like, I'm getting there. <laughs> Good joy. Amazing. Um, well, normally at the end of an episode, the host, per standard, rinses the guest. And have another whiskey, please. <laughs> and joy. What I'm going to do is give you some of this delightful whiskey as a gift for coming on the show. Thanks for... I bought you that. <laughs> Did you pour more into your glass? Did I? Yes. I normally don't do that. I'm normally very guilty about that in my in my head. Hey, we got boosted today. We got boosted, and how's your arm? My armpit hurts right now. Your Mm -hmm. (laughs) each one, your pet has hurt. My inside of my armpit is sore. Yep. I'm not so, oh, I've had paracetamol. I was just thinking my arm's not so bad, but no, I've had paracetamol. <laughs> paracetamol and whiskey. The whiskey is definitely. Flip me though, my arm. <laughs> this particular vaccine, this the Moderna one that I had today. Yeah. It was sore. Yeah. It wasn't too bad, like with the first and second visors, but this one was. This one was painful. Something else. Wow. I'm anticipating what else I might feel. Hoping I'll be fine. Yeah. There we go. We've had a bit of a round round it. It's really cool actually getting to do this as a podcast conversation because I was we were reflecting that um, there's this idea around subpersonalities mm. that every person might have a bunch of other. Do you have a name for your subpersonalities? Uh, one or two of them, I think. Yeah. Go on. Uh, not here. Not yet. They'll come out. <laughs> Yeah, I've got one or two. I'll do. I'll do a wee run of it. <laughs> so, I do. Yeah. Um, but the, so you know, these different parts of us that we could identify as different aspects of our character, personality, different motivations. It helps the park though, or you're being two faced. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, you're being seven faced. Faced. <laughs> this is all part of me anyway. Yeah. You seven faced wonder. <laughs> um, and I think it's quite fun because. Obviously, when you're married to someone, you show maybe like three out of seven, right? What in one go? <laughs> yeah, probably. But it's nice to actually... It's it's obviously really weird because we're sitting in our home with a microphone and a thing here. But it's really cool actually doing this format and hearing more about how you live your life. Because that's all the, a lot of the things I think are really phenomenal. And that, you know, I find fascinating how you operate in it. Um, so thank you for sharing it. And for chatting, 
How long did it take me to take you rather to get me on this? On whiskey. Oh, no. <laughs> like a minute. <laughs> on this. No, a minute to get you on the whiskey. I turned you down like three times. Why can you turn me down? We we tried well, on the one. friend zone or on the part on the podcast. Whoa! I know. <laughs> it took one minute to go on the whiskey. Seven years to go on the dating. And 18 or 19 episodes for the podcast. So that's fine. And cheers. cheers. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Do check out the work of CSW. Go on Instagram. You can find Ruth on Ruth Sky. And Twitter, Ruth Donaldson. Please do share the episode with folks that you know. And let us know what you think of it on mark at markcameron.co Thanks again for joining the conversation. The imagery was done by Melody Joy and the music, Sam Gallagher. See ya. See ya.